Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to part two of the Fantastic World. I'm Greg Erbar, author of Hanna-Barbera, The Recorded History. And now we rejoin our guest, Lee Gambin, as he recalls what happened when the Jetsons became a feature film. By the time you get to the film, one of the main points of criticisms, and there are a few, as you know, mm-hmm. was this heavy-handed message of environmentalism. And I remember, even as because I was only, what, 11 or something when it came out in 1990, I remember... Older people who are cartoon fans, one of my teachers was a big Hanna-Barbera fan, my woodwork teacher of all things, because <laughs> I'm such a carpenter. But um, he was obsessed. He used to have written on his hand, tape top cat to not, you know, it's like, <laughs> but he was like, well, I couldn't deal with the constant messaging of environmentalism. And I go, wow. And as a kid, it was like, why? Why is it such yeah. an issue? Like, it's actually a healthy, positive thing to care about the freaking planet. Like, it's important. We're going to be here, you know, we're going to be here for a while, hopefully. That was really interesting to hear his perspective there. But then as I got older, I realised, okay, there is this contingent of fandom that doesn't want that. And that, I get it. I'm, it makes sense. It's like the Mighty Joe Young remake that Disney did. I was like, oh, I was put off. I was like, okay, and that, like, we get it. Like, we, of course... You can agree with it. And it's like, I hear you. I'm sitting here. I'm agreeing with you. Stop saying it. <laughs> right, exactly. You're preaching to the choir and constantly preaching and really loud and the repetitive nature of it. But yeah, so that's what happened with the Jetsons movie as far as the messaging. So I feel like it was the 90s, interestingly enough, sort of started to go back to heavy handed, but ended really abruptly. And as far as like, say, for instance, with my scholarship on sitcoms, it dies in the 90s. It dies of the advent of Seinfeld. That's what Larry David said. He was like, yeah. our show is no cuddles, no hugs and lessons. It's just comedy. And that's why those characters are quite ugly. They're not nice They're people. Actually- you know, I've always had a joke. My Elaine is Elaine Nardo from Taxi, not Elaine from Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because my Elaine from Taxi is all heart. She's this beautiful wonderful working class character who's just all heart whereas Elaine and Kramer if they're not so that split in the 90s which sort of ends with the show like Blossom mm-hmm. um, Dinosaurs as well the Henson yeah. show they're kind of doing this messaging stuff you know tonight on a very special Blossom became a big joke in TV it's true uh, <laughs> I, I love Blossom I think it's a beautifully written show and well performed etc but yeah it was time to get away from that kind of messaging thing so the Jetsons movie hits right at the start of 1990 so it makes sense and it's also you know fern gully all these things that were coming out during this period right. which were 
about environmentalism and eco-awareness because one topic that you can communicate to children is the saving of the planet. And where are we now? We're at the same sort of conversation where younger people are caring about global warming. Everyone should be. But it's this whole thing of like it's geared again towards children. So you might not be able to talk about certain things in cartoon format about stuff that's a bit maybe, I don't know, too dark. But environmentalism, you can. So the Jetsons movie does that. Now, I would accuse Hanna-Barbera of the most heavy-handed series they ever did. And this is at the height of television for Saturday morning having a message. The end of Shazam... Well, He-Man had every episode had the you know important message at the end. Filmation built it into the end. But Yogi's Gang, which was time for great rejoicing for those of us who were thrilled because we had not seen these characters for a long time in new shows. So when Yogi's Arclark went on, what they sold to ABC was a message show that they were required to do because they had to have social values on Saturday morning. So every episode of Yogi's Gang was... Lada Litter, Rosemary as Lada Litter. And each week it was I love, a- her. I love her design. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> Every person they would run into somebody who did some kind of wrong thing. Look down there, Yogi. It's Mr. Smog. Okie doke. Let's fix his smoke. That's my solution to stop pollution. Hey, Yogi. It's Lotta Litter. Hey, 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 we'll have to take care of her some way. Uh-oh, it's the prankster and the greedy genie at three o'clock. Yay, let's fix their clocks. It's like Goofus and Gallant, as, as on an earlier show we talked about. That was pretty on the nose. Possibly the reasoning behind that is because you've got these firmly established classic cartoon characters who are now dealing with litter. <laughs> so, it's like, you know, and I get it. Like, okay. Like, it's also playing into this sort of fad of having villains, like having clear villains, like the superhero boom starts. Right. So now you've got Yogi and Snagglepuss and Magilla Gorilla and Huckleberry Pound, all these characters being heroic when they normally were sometimes just not. <laughs> Yogi was the opposite originally. <laughs> he was a, yeah, exactly, you know. exactly. But, but now in the eighties, you have to pit them against a clear villain, and a clear villain makes a lot of sense if they're, you know, a litter bug or something. But that's really interesting that that it was kind of pushed on them to have a social redeeming cartoon. That's really fascinating. But I mean, if you think about the Smurfs, there's a lot of messaging in the Smurfs. You know, the Monchichis and Pawpaws and Biscuits, a lot of them had a lot of messaging as well. Kind not of, in every episode. Like, not in every episode, first, yeah. They, those were out-and-out out storybook fantasies, but, yeah, every so often there'd be a social message, and there was that very famous award-winning one. It was about um, Hefty and about somebody who's in a wheelchair and what it's like to be that way. And But it wasn't all the time. They also had a hearing-impaired character and... Things like that. But it wasn't about that all the time. Mm-hmm. It's Laverne and Shirley had a couple of outstanding episodes about things like that. That didn't seem out of place because they didn't do it all the time. That's so- right. That's right. And also when it felt natural, when it didn't feel natural. I remember when I did my book, the writers of the episode, some of my best friends, Aroda from Mary Tyler Moore, didn't feel comfortable doing that episode because I felt like it was too Norman Lear for them rather than what they would normally do. But the episode works beautifully. And a show like MTM 
has massive overreaching thing where basically things that are very serious, quote unquote, or socially relevant or whatever, pop up all the time. They're just not right. So like the Smurf, these shows that don't stop, they go, oh, tonight's a very special one. (laughs) (laughs) Or the sporting kids, yeah, you get your cereal, but you're going to be dealing with that. They're not doing that. Whereas like when you get to different strokes, you do have Conrad Bain, popping up before the episode. And that used to scare me as a kid. He goes, <laughs> you know, tonight, you know, make sure your parents are with you. you watch it. It's like, okay, calm down. Because you're going to deal with it's something really grim on different strokes. So it's very different to the way that the Saturday morning cartoons approached issues. It was in there, but it never stopped to showcase that it was there. I mean, for goodness sake, the Flintstones, the idea of Bam Bam being adopted, that's vitally important in history. Yes. Like, you know, it really is the idea that they can't have children. Lucy's not talking about that. The Let's, Flintstones. You know, that's a very good point to bring up, is that, and that's how powerfully you do it. That is an outstanding episode because, first of all, Fred is horrible in that. He's downright cruel to the point, you know, go get your own baby. Why you, I mean, he's so mean, but he's an idiot, and he's, he feels bad later. And then you have that beautiful scene with Betty and Barney wishing on the star. It's said the acting is so good in that scene. And that is saying to millions of people forever that you love an adopted child the same way you love a child that isn't. And yeah. if you never saw that episode and then you found out later Bam Bam was adopted, it's still a strong message because, oh, he was adopted and there was no stigma about it. And then maybe that's reading too much into it, but I don't think so. Because that's the way you do it. And, you know, it's funny. I didn't think of Jetsons the movie as being heavy-handed in the way. I mean, that was a theme. That was a natural theme to have because of the era and because Spacely was the corporate. He had become even more of the corporate monolith. Yes. And so doing that, let's face it. Well, we don't know how it's happening, but we know it's still happening. Companies that pump stuff into the oceans and stuff. And here's an example of this. So I didn't see that as the, the main story. It was really the what they always do in features. Usually when they make a feature out of a TV show, they feel like they've got to take the characters out of their neighborhood and put yeah. them somewhere to open it up. So Michael <laughs> yeah. Finstone, they go to Europe. Hey there, Yogi Bear. You know, they go to the circus. They go to New York. The Munsters go to fake England on Universal Lot. But they always did that. And I asked Lauren Bouchard, who created Bob's Burgers, before the movie was coming out, are you going to do that too? And he said, we're trying not to do that. When you see the yeah. movie, you will see how we got around that. And I think what they did was like go underground, <laughs> you know, but they didn't really leave. It's like they left, but they didn't leave. Right, right. So with the Jetsons movie, they had to go away. So it was about moving. There's some lovely songs, and you talk about that. There's some really nice songs in there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the song about being, you know, home and all that is is really nice.
So if you don't get into or know the Tiffany thing, and gosh, Jenna Waldo is an idol of mine, and it was a dumb thing to do, but I don't level it at anybody, but just people who'd had no clue saying, oh, we'll sell more records. I don't think Tiffany cared one way or the other, and it was kind of people picked on her. But I don't think that really was the issue with the movie. It was kind of all over the place, but it was still cool to see how beautifully they'd rendered it. And Absolutely. You probably know this, but the, whomever, the powers that be were insisting that the movie open with a Tiffany song. You know, just like when Adam's Family, the first movie came out, the very first one, and they didn't want to use the, the famous theme, and they tested it, and audiences went nuts with the theme. Well, it was the same thing. There was pushback by John Debney, the composer, saying, he said, you've got to open with the real Jetson theme. And I am telling you, when I was in the theater and that oh. logo swung over and the and the dun 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 da went on, Bugger. the audience cheered. Yeah. Absolutely, because it's the heart of it, and it's also what you're used to, what you've grown up with, what you love, what you cherish. You know, one major core element. You can't mess with that. Like, you just yeah. can't. Just to close the Enviro messaging of Jetsons the movie, I think it's really important that it's in there because it's a commentary on capitalism. It's a commentary on the ravaging of Indigenous nations and Indigenous culture and land. And that's really important to have in there. But as you said, it's really interesting to hear you say that you didn't see it as a core, as a a main element of the film, whereas it did irk a lot of people as being too overt. And it's like, okay, you know, it's doing its job, but it's also very organic, again, into the plot, into how George grows as someone who starts to care about something outside of his own domestic domain and who he is and what he can provide for just his family that the whole concept of Jetsons the movie is about universality it's about what I do affects an animal or someone else or another suburb so everyone's got cause and effect for anything and that's important to note and that's the thing that's really smart about the Jetsons movie is it's kind of commenting on how we yes singularly will watch our cartoons in the morning as kids with our cereal but there's this connectivity because the other kid down the road who's very different to you is watching the same cartoon. It's that really nice collective thing, which is very much about TV. That's why TV movies were so important in the 70s and 80s. It was bringing conversation out because everyone had a collective viewing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you have the cinematic expression of the Jetsons, you're in a cinema together watching it and experiencing it. So all those kids growing up with the Jetsons, with cereal in the lounge room, are now in a cinema c- collectively watching this hour and a half movie. It's really nice, that tie, that sort of bridge. Okay, so the core aspects of Jetsons, the movie, abs- I love what you're mentioning about the displacement factor because you're so right. Like, okay, I can't even think of ones that don't do it. Um, Because, like, even the Brady Bunch movie, they displaced them in an era. That's very smart. That is so smart. That was brilliant. And I actually was really sort of sceptical and stressed about seeing the new Yogi Bear movie and the new Smurfs movie. But the Smurfs movie does it straight away. And I, my first argument of 
point was like, just stay in Snurf Village. Why do we, <laughs> yeah. why do we need to meet these humans, please? You know, same as the Muppets, the new reinvention of the Muppet. No, it's not about Jason Siegel. It's about the pig and the frog and the dog and the bear and the whatever Gonzo is. You know, I don't want to hear with humans. Yeah, and there's a really nice line, and I think I bring it up on the Jetsons movie commentary track where the young woman that's kind of environmentalist and she's kind of romantically interested in Ranger Smith, and she says to him something like, what makes us special is that we care so much about things that no one else cares about. And I think that is so beautifully written because it sums up people like us. People yeah. who have never let go of cartoons, who always love them. And if you talk to other people, they're like, I don't understand why you care. It is true. Like, I re- I'm sure you're the same. When you grow up and you're watching all this stuff, whether it's cartoons or monster movies or MGM musicals, whatever the hell it is, and that you're sharing with other people in your household, you know that for you, this stuff means a lot more than the person sitting next to you. And you carry that with you and you keep it with you. And the lucky folk who get to work in a field that is all about that, like yourself and me, that's just heaven. That's blessed. That's blessed. You know, I don't care that you know, I'm not making thousands of dollars from it, but it's, it's, I love it. I love this stuff. It's beautiful. But yeah, Jetsons the movie, I think it does that as well. And there's some beautiful moments of that that are really powerful and really sweet. And there's an absolute sensitivity to the film. There's an absolute tenderness to the film. The whole quote-unquote controversy with the casting of Tiffany, I mean, it makes sense during this period to get like a pop star, rock star to have a character in there. And Judy gets a lot to do in the film, which is great because you're realising also that a pre-teen audience is going to be wanting to see the film possibly. You know, this is the same year of Dick Tracy and stuff. You know, it makes sense that a studio would want a mega star, pop star and Tiffany's really interesting. She's an interesting choice. I love her voice. I love her vocal range. It's incredible. It's that kind of mall culture as well. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, which is great. And it's sort of Paisley Underground coming out of that. But punk is still in there. And she's got that raspy punk voice and sensibility, even though it's pop music. It's there. And that mall culture, the kind of Debbie Gibson culture, sort of stemming from ultimately a punk band named The Go-Go's. So that whole kind of like really female-centric, awesome stuff that was going on in the 80s and into the 90s. And I think that's really important to factor in. It's interesting to note that also Tiffany in the film is also a songwriter, but a budding one. Period. Riot Girl is about to take off, mostly in America, but it had a big influence here in Melbourne for sure and across the world. But Riot Girl was basically this kind of feminist punk movement that happened in the early 90s where young women were writing and starting bands. So you mm-hmm. had this rise of women out, in and outside of Riot Girl. You had Riot Girl bands like Bikini Kill, etc. But then other bands like Babes in Toyland, L7, all these women in music stuff was really starting to bubble up. And Judy... <laughs> Kind of is a forerunner in that movement, I feel. That's I think true. She's yeah. Of, yeah, she's kind of like this cool third wave feminist, right? Early riot girl. Of course, same like you. I love Janet Waldo. She's a hero. I, I was blessed to meet her in LA. And her voice is used in the film. She's there. But yeah, yeah I get it. I understand. Like the singing voice could have just been Tiffany and Janet could have played Judy. I understand all that. I get it. But it is something that constantly came up when I was doing research on it. <laughs> that that was the main point of contention it was that was it no one else talked about anything else but that it's like this is really kind of a bit brutal on tiffany as well there's a lot of like unnecessary you know meanness directed towards tiffany 
Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Dick Tracy. So bringing that up, 1990, you have the casting of Madonna, who does a divine job, I feel. Like, Breathless Mahoney is her character. But, you know, it would have been amazing to have seen a Bernadette Peters or, you know, someone who would be doing those Sondheim numbers. True. But Madonna is a major star. She wanted that role, and it works. For me, my, my it works queen. for them, too. So Tiffany, I think, does a good job. I think does a perfectly fine job. And as you said, the songs are tops. They're great. You know, You and Me and Home and all those songs are terrific. And also they are really beautifully used in the film in a sense that it's commentary on what's going on. Some of them are diegetic. Some of them are integrated. And that's really interesting. That's very tricky to do and pull off in a musical. And also it's kind of Greek chorusy, commenting on scene changes or characters personalities and transitions and feelings they don't rush the songs and then the last half an hour have no songs they're nicely placed so it's like sometimes quote putting the nuts in a fruitcake you know where to put them and i think you can't have hanna-barbera theatrical or feature-length films without songs one of the things i i noticed about it because of its era and it's this is kind of what we were saying along the way the original jetsons was very much perfect in 62 it was modified. It had to be a different show for so many reasons in the 80s. And then, as you've explained, where show business was, where the popular culture was, where women in music was, where the social issues were, all of that was very much late 80s, early 90s. And as far as the soundtrack album, the Jetsons movie reflects the um, built-for-pop constructed to play as a pop album all the way through with pop. So you no longer had, with the first two films, a soundtrack that was an instrumental and then a vocal, an instrumental and a vocal, and pretty much the book musical kind of songs. The album had to play beginning to end as a pop album. Yes. And so you couldn't have John Dedme's score if it was a CD. Some CDs will put a suite of orchestral music at the end, but they don't want to disturb the flow of the pop because i think they discovered people want to play them all the way through in fact the disney soundtracks changed in the late 80s with little mermaid because for the first time you had all of the key songs up front and then you went into the background music um that was a new format and so the jetsons movie was different reflecting also a changing time and they did change hannah barbara they retained what made them Hanna-Barbera as best they could. And I can give you examples in all of their works where you can trace that kind of storytelling back to Tom and Jerry and MGM. Because the wow. way that the stories and time things, you know, you could take an episode of Biscuits, set up, gag, gag, gag. I mean, there's a wonderful sequence in uh, Jetsons where George has to get through the complex and he looks at the grid and it says, you are here but you should be here. And yeah, right. that is so Barbara. It's making fun of the mall directory. Yeah, that? yeah. And that's it, was, right. it got a big laugh. You know, it was a throwaway, yeah. funny gag. So they put as much as they could, and they were very hands-on. In their books, especially Hannah's book, the last film that they made together, really, because they put a moviola in their office, they got together, and as much as they could with their schedules, did this, Barbera's experience because he had to deal with the meetings on the outside and all of that pushback and all of that because, you know, he wasn't in charge. That's the other thing is they were Hannah and Barbera, but they had to answer to a lot. So they're dealing with a monolith company at Universal. 
And he's dealing with that. And Hannah's got his own troubles, but they're not the same ones. He sees it from a, what a nice way to bookend our careers. Yeah. And one of the most touching things was at the very end, there is this scene where George speaks and how you interpreted that. Because we were talking about this being the last thing. This was one of their biggest properties. They had made this film. They had made it together. They were much older, you know, and it was 90. And George makes this statement that's very touching. He does, yes. That's at the end of the film, just before we get the song Home, which has a really profound lyric, which I think sums up our conversation, where she sings something like, I'm a child again. But George says this profound thing, which hits me every time. Alroy's having to say goodbye to his newfound friends in his new place. And George says sometimes it's very hard to say goodbye. I'm going to miss this place a lot. It just shows that you can make friends and prove yourself anywhere in the universe. I know, Dad. But leaving's still hard. Yeah, it is. I know. And they linger on George. And it's subtle, but it's there. It's lingering on George because they want to make the point of that line because it's kind of Joe and Bill's farewell. And having to sort of say goodbye to generations of children and adults alike who love their work and how important their work is. But also, which is more heartbreaking for me, is the fact that they're saying goodbye to characters that they have created, that they have co-created, that they have seen through decades, you know, whatever the case may be, these characters who are now, you know, these eternally living inventions that represent a, a massive array of human emotion and human character and human traits that are universal, continually universal. These are all these really important characters to all of us and they've left this legacy. And in that one moment in the Jetsons movie, which unfairly gets poo-pooed. There's that beautiful moment where George says that and it just sums up that whole thing, this dedication and love that we have for these characters and this whole universe. So it's a really powerful moment. And I think a lot of people missed it, I believe. I just think, oh yeah, you know, it's just saying goodbye. But yeah, it's a really profound moment and it says a lot more than what it's actually there for in the film. You do uncover an awful lot that is right there in front of you, commentary, and in other commentaries. And I'd like for you to tell us what we can look forward to that you're working on next and how people can um, uh, keep up with you and things like that. Oh, thank you. Well, as far as animation goes, I just wrapped the commentary track for Mr. Bug Goes to Town. Wow! Yeah, the Max Fleischer cartoon feature. That was fun to work on. And again, really interesting tie-ins to Jetsons the movie because that movie is all about human destruction. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, it comes out during wartime and it's like the whole film is structured like a war picture and these insects having to deal with their own little world, their community, while humans are just not even paying attention. But, yeah, there's a lot going on in that film. Also, it's history, the Fleischer brothers at that point in time when they just turned on each other, there was rivalry. Also, the controversy about its success, which was not to do with Pearl Harbor. What else am I working on? I'm working on, oh, I just, oh, I wish I could tell you. It's a musical. Uh, I will say it's covered in my book, 
So it's mm-hmm. a seventy-film musical, and I do the commentary with two people who worked on the film and another scholar who's amazing. Um, but also, I'm producing the features for this release, a very important film musical of the seventies that I think everyone will be impressed that it's coming to Blu-ray. But yeah, it's hustle. It's a hustle. You know, you just <laughs> get job from job in this film. Well, it isn't. It doesn't make us rich, but it makes us rich in other ways, like George Bailey. You know. No. <laughs> but I got to tell you, having listened to hundreds of commentaries, and I am a commentary fiend, but there are commentaries where people are watching the movie with you and saying, oh, I haven't seen this in a while. That's why I'm not talking. And they don't say much. Or there are ones where they are eating during or taking phone calls during. And I'm talking about major Hollywood releases sometimes. Oh, let me take this call. Oh, my wife is calling. I'm not kidding. This was on a big release. My wife's calling and she needs duct tape or something. I've heard some awful ones. So I love what you do and I appreciate the insight and the enthusiasm. And so I thank you for being on our podcast very much. That's so nice to hear. Thank you. makes everything worthwhile. <laughs> and I also want to thank everyone for listening. As always, please subscribe, but mostly just please join us again for our next installment. And all I can say now is bye-bye, and you're all the most ut. We hope you enjoyed the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbara with Greg Airborne. Please join us again, and many thanks for listening. 